This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. So for Italian journalist Alessio Lasta, reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic in the Lombardy region is like nothing he's ever done before. It's like fighting a war with an invisible enemy, he says. Alessio Lasta is the Milano-based correspondent for the weekly talk show Piazza Pulita on the TV channel La Sette, one of the most viewed talk shows in Italy. For months, he's been working around the clock, reporting on the ground about the intense corona crisis in northern Italy, a situation incomparable to most other countries. His first reports from inside the intensive care units in the area were seen in Italy and around the world and changed the perception of the COVID-19 pandemic. In our conversation, we talked about how and when he first started to realize that the pandemic was overtaking the region and why that was. He talks about personal stories he's encountered and how he works and protects himself as a reporter, and how many of the stories led to tears. Also, how the regional and national government has tackled the crisis, and about the second pandemic, as he calls it, the economic backlash that will follow, what mistakes were made, and how the Italians are preparing for phase two, opening the country gradually. Award-winning journalist Alessio Lasta has also reported for Rai and Mediaset, and he has a long history of reporting on the Italian bank crises, right-wing extremism, and is the author of the book La Piu Bella, The Constitution Betrayed, The Italians Who Resist. I spoke to Alessio Lasta from his home in Milano. Alessio, thank you so much for joining me. I know that you are working night and day in a very difficult situation. How are you? Hi, Christina. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, I'm at home right now. Uh, I'm fine and uh, I'm preparing a story for Piazza Pulita, the TV show uh, I work for, um, uh, a story about the situation of disabled people uh, uh, who are living a real, uh, uh, how do you say, coronavirus emergency. Uh, it's almost uh, a month and a half since uh, I started making reports uh, from uh, inside the intensive care units uh, uh, showing uh, uh, the, the ugly face of the virus. Uh, today, thanks to the quarantine uh, that the bull of Italy is living uh, since more than a month, uh, we can say the general number of infected people is decreasing. Uh, uh, as well as those uh, uh, hospitalized in uh, intensive care units. Uh, but what is worse is the number of uh, deaths. Uh, the number of deaths is still uh, quite high. Uh, there are uh, still more than uh, 500 deaths uh, per day, and so it's uh, a high number. Um, expectation for Easter, for example, should have been uh, better but uh, it's hoped that the quarantine extended until uh, the 3rd of May uh, will reduce uh, the number of infected uh, and the number of deaths, obviously. As a reporter, have you ever faced anything like this? I can say that uh, in almost 20 years of journalism, I have reported about many tragedies. Um, one that could be similar to this tragedy uh, was the economic crisis of 2008, for example. Uh, 
with a very high number of uh, Swiss seeds uh, in uh, productive areas uh, of our country. Uh, but it was still very different. Uh, uh, then you knew the enemy and how to face it. Here we are uh, facing uh, an invisible, unknown enemy that does, that does not affect people in the same way. I mean, uh, you can see the pandemic, you can't measure it. And the numbers are worse than an earthquake, for example, but uh, you can't see rubble in the streets. That's why, um, in the beginning, uh, people, at least in Italy, but I think a little bit uh, all over the world, struggled to understand what COVID-19 really was. And, and that's very important to know it. Uh, that's why our work uh, as TV journalists, for, for example, was and is very important and needed. When and how did you actually start to understand that this virus that you were hearing about in Italy was serious and actually an epidemic. Yes, I can't go remember uh, the, that day. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a Sunday, uh, Sunday the 1st of March. Uh, almost 10 days uh, um, uh, had passed since uh, the so-called Passion One. Uh, the Passion One was uh, the first confirmed case uh, of coronavirus uh, uh, in Italy, uh, in this uh, small town uh, uh, named Codogno, south of Milan. Uh, the area was transformed in a red zone. Uh, no one can, uh, could enter and leave Codogno. At the same time, the number of infections increased, uh, but the lockdown uh, had not yet been decided for Lombardy, which is the most uh, affected region, and nor for the rest of Italy. Mm. At that point, I, I began to think that the situation was getting uh, out of hand, mm -hmm. uh, that things were more serious than I thought. On that weekend, the hospitals in uh, Lodi and Cremona, for example, uh, went, uh, went into um, great difficulty. Um, there were no more beds in intensive care units, for example, and the number of patients uh, who went to to, uh, to those hospitals uh, had increased uh, three or four times more than normal. I can remember that um, almost, all almost all patients uh, had the same symptoms, for example, breathing difficulties, uh, fever, uh, coughing, uh, tiredness. That's when I, I chose to, to tell what's happening. I thought if people hadn't figured out what COVID-19 was yet, I had to show them. So I picked up the phone. I remember very good. Uh, I, I dialed the, the number of the hospital in Cremona. It was Sunday. I said um, uh, the switchboard answered, but they were so busy that they didn't have uh, time for my request. Uh, I tried again for the second time and I finally managed to speak to the press office. I asked them to, to tell me uh, what doctors and nurses were experiencing inside the intensive care units because it was very important to, to, sh to see with my, my, my eyes what uh, was happening. Uh, um, then I had, to say, I had to see this for myself uh, to transmit to the Italian population what was happening to, to these patients inside the intensive care. I can remember that in, in, in those days, I remember the debates uh, in newspaper and on TV here in Italy. It was said, for example, that only old people died. Uh, and uh, that was the first thing that impressed me when I entered the intensive care unit, uh, face to face with most critical, critically 
ill patients. For example, I, I remember that when I was there, um, they brought, uh, brought in maybe a 35-year-old young man. It was a sporty and athletic man, so it, it wasn't an old man. Mm -hmm. uh, he was laying uh, there in front of me. He looked dead. The body, uh, I remember, was naked. And there were a lot of doctors and nurses uh, uh, that were checking uh, the ventilator. After that, uh, uh, the other sick people appeared in front of me. It, it was sh a shock for me. Uh, one bed next to the other. I remember uh, the position of many of them, and they were uh, prone. When I asked, when I asked uh, why to the doctors, the doctors explained to me that in that position, they breathe better. I remember then more men than women, for example. Mm -hmm. And I also remember a personal feeling. Uh, I thought of those uh, still bodies uh, sedated, who seems to be dead, and all the confusion around them, doctors, nurses, and something like that. And then this sound, the sound of the machines, the ventilators, for example, that I can remember very good. Um, at that time, a, a patient was about to be transferred to another hospital to free up space at the hospital in Cremona, uh, which was one of the closest hospitals to the red zone, uh, where the greatest number of ill people arrived. Uh, those, people, uh, those pictures uh, of the intensive care units of the hospital in Cremona change the perception of the virus, not only in Italy, but uh, I would say in the rest of the world as well, because they, they, they were transmitted in over 40 countries around the world, all, all the way to Japan. Um, you must have had, or you must have, uh, personal concerns, of course. Um, how do you pr protect yourself, both physically and psychologically? Yes, I, I use, um, how do you say in English, FFP3 masks, mm, then uh, cap, mm -hmm. uh, gowns, uh, uh, gloves, uh, shoes, uh, glasses, uh, and all things uh, that could protect me. In, in, in some cases, uh, I remember, yes, I, I wore a biological suite uh, that covered me up to, the, to, to my head for security reasons. More or less, uh, all the physical protection were uh, bearable. The dressing procedures uh, were slow, but necessary. But for me, it, it was, to say, that it was more difficult to protect myself from the emotional aspect. I had never been, for example, in my life, never been in an intensive care unit before, nor I had ever been in an intensive care unit during an emergency such coronavirus or such COVID-19. The first report was difficult, but I remember more or less the adrenaline in me prevailed. What uh, was more difficult uh, was the second and the third reports uh, made between Bergamo and Brescia. And Bergamo and Brescia <laughs> are the most affected provinces, uh, actually uh, moved me uh, even more. They, 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 I can say they, they really hit me hard. Uh, also, because in those two stories, uh, I asked the doctors uh, to make uh, such a, a video diary of their days uh, to describe the, their emotions. Uh, uh, the sense of defeat uh, in the face of death. It, it was very important to show how they, they work and what they uh, feel. In those days, I also told about the drama of the patients, uh, these patients uh, who died uh, without family next to them. 
uh, as families are not allowed uh, intensive, in, in intensive unit care. I saw so many coffins because there were so many dead. There were um, no more crematorium available to cremate them. Uh, and then th that image of the uh, army vehicles carrying uh, out the, the coffins of the date that marked, uh, marked me, I can say I, I cried during, uh, I cried during uh, these weeks. It was very difficult uh, to, to do journalism uh, in, in this situation. Uh, but but, but I, I think that uh, if you tell such a difficult story, so personal and so up close, uh, you can never say, I have finished my job, for example, I go home and, and, and think about something else and uh, free my mind from, uh, from the images uh, that you have seen. You cannot do that. Uh, I, I always think about uh, this crisis, uh, about what's happening, about the pain of families, uh, but also of doctors and nurses who cannot save enough lives. You never shut off, uh, and today is still the same. Uh, if, uh, even if the emergency, for example, has decreased compared um, with before. Of course, that never leaves you. And you've done some very powerful reports from inside the hospitals. Can you share a story that remained has remained with you? Yes, uh, I can say it was an interview with the uh, with the wife and the daughter. Uh, of a, a 60 year old man who died uh, in uh, his home. Uh, we were in the province of Bergamo. It struck me because uh, one of, of the dramas of, of, of this virus in Italy is the large number of deaths uh, at home, not included in the official COVID statistics, for example. And that's a big problem, not only for Italy. This man, I, I remember, was called Ciro. He was struggling to breathe. His 25-year-old daughter tried to, to call the family's doctor at first, who advised him on, a, I remember, an anti-inflammatory drug, or more or less, something like that. And, and then she calls another doctor who recommended a simple aerosol. But the situation obviously did not improve. Ciro continued to breathe with great difficulty, especially at night. At that point, the doctor called the emergency number, asked for uh, Ciro to be tested for COVID-19. Uh, he was denied it. That's another problem here in Italy. People who died uh, alone at home without this test, for example. Only when the situation became uh, critical and, and the doctor called another one the emergency uh, number, did they dispatch an ambulance. But unfortunately, this ambulance uh, arrived half an hour after her father had passed away. And it's a terrible story. What struck me about this girl uh, was her composure while suffering uh, this terrible loss. As she remembered how her father died, suffocated uh, in, in her arms. Uh, she told me the, the last words, words uh, that uh, she said to uh, her father. I love you. <clears throat> Say goodbye to, to the grandparents, excuse me, but it's emotional for me. <laughs> To remember, to remember these words, uh, grandparents uh, say goodbye to the grandparents, uh, um, and and she said these things while uh, her father held her hand hand uh, before uh, he died. You know, when 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 facing so much pain, uh, words are uh, uh, really wordless. Uh, at the end of the interview, I didn't know what to say to this girl and to her mother. Uh, there were a few seconds of silence, then. Uh, it was the girl who told me, 
I told the story uh, of my father uh, because uh, there are so many people like him who die at home without help and who are not included in the COVID statistics. I will always care. I will, I will always carry uh, with me the expression in, uh, in her eyes. And I'm sure you've done very well in telling their story. Yeah. Working, what kind of sources do you have? Yes, in telling the, um, the emergency, my, uh, my, source, uh, my sources uh, um, are hospitals, doctors, uh, nurses, but uh, also associations uh, of patients um, who report, for example, situation of isolation or request for uh, COVID-19 test. Then, of course, I talk on the phone uh, with virologists uh, who are following the situation closely here in Italy. And, and do Italians trust the authorities in this crisis? I, uh, yes, I, I would say so. Uh, more or less, I would say so. Uh, the latest survey um, uh, on the government's consensus uh, in the management of the emergency, dated no, uh, 9th of April, says uh, that... Uh, one Italian in two uh, appreciates how uh, the government of uh, Giuseppe Conte uh, is managing uh, the emergency, uh, including, including uh, uh, the quarantine uh, measure uh, taken. It's, it's clear that an alternative solution uh, will have to be found to live, uh, to live with, the, with the virus, because uh, an extension uh, beyond the 3rd of May of the prohibitions and quarantine measures uh, would be difficult for Italian population to understand. But uh, with a few exceptions, I can say that uh, Italians have complied uh, with, their, uh, with their rules. There's a huge problem reporting on the coronavirus in so many countries regarding fake news, um, which is particularly scary in, in this crisis. Um, have you seen examples of this in Italy? Yes, uh, the subject of, of, of a fake news is very important and not secondary uh, in a difficult period uh, like this, uh, you know, where uh, every, war, every war takes uh, uh, on an incredible importance. Uh, many Italians uh, uh, turn to social networks uh, for news, uh, and unfortunately, uh, there are many fake news. Uh, um, it's normal, uh, it's uh, our, uh, our time. Um, uh, one of them uh, is, uh, for example, uh, I read it uh, in, in my WhatsApp. <laughs> so someone sent uh, send me this kind of message. Uh, it was a WhatsApp message from uh, uh, an alleged doctor in Pavia announcing uh, the name of a drug that could uh, uh, cure uh, COVID-19 infections. Uh, or, for example, uh, the story of an American scientist uh, um, uh, who, who sold the coronavirus uh, to China or uh, the story uh, that say that uh, the virus uh, uh, was created uh, in, a, in a Chinese uh, uh, laboratory a few years back. Uh, I, must, I must say that Italian journalism has done quite a good job in taking uh, this fake news apart. Of course, uh, uh, we must always be vigilant uh, because uh, we, we cannot deceive people with false uh, hopes and lies. You've been reporting now for many weeks. Um, have you come to understand, can you describe why the spread in Italy has become so massive? Yes, it, it, it's a good question and it's a hard question <laughs> to, to answer. Two factors uh, may have uh, caused the, this high number of deaths. 
the fifth one was, uh, uh, for example, not declaring uh, the Valseriana a red zone. Uh, Valseriana is a beautiful valley uh, in the province of Bergamo, where uh, there were uh, outbreaks uh, in two villages, Alzano and Nembro. In particular, the, the hospital in Alzano remained open even after the news of infected health workers in the emergency room and COVID patients next to normal patients had spread. Yes, that was terrible. That was the reason for these incredible numbers of deaths, for example. And the second element was the underestimation, again in the Bergamo area, of the seriousness uh, uh, of the situation uh, from the beginning, for example. Entrepreneurs uh, did not want to close the factories because Lombardy is the area with the highest numbers of companies and factories, you know, together with Veneto. The, the two regions together uh, represent almost 50% uh, of Italian GDP. Not having closed the factories immediately also gave weeks of advantage to the, uh, to the virus, yes. Uh, and obviously the, the, the number of places in intensive care units. Before uh, the virus, there were uh, 5,000 beds for a population of 60 million inhabitants. Germany, uh, which uh, has 80 million inhabitants, had 28,000 beds for the intensive unit care before the emergency, five more uh, for only less than 50% uh, higher population. So a big difference. Now, the journalist Roberto Saviano, he wrote a piece last week for Le Monde, um, which many have discussed here. Basically, he states that the regional politics in the Lombardia area are a big part as to why things got so severe and out of hand, uh, mainly that there was a healthcare system put in place by a Berlusconi-appointed president, Formiglioni, I think yes. his name was, years ago. He went to jail for corruption. Has regional or federal politics, in your mind, and corruption been a factor to why the corona crisis did become so acute in Lombardy? Yes, I don't, don't think so. Um, obviously, corruption is always bad, um, but uh, I can say that healthcare in Lombardy is a, an excellent healthcare. Uh, with uh, very good doctors, for example. I would say that uh, uh, it's the best healthcare in Italy since uh, uh, many, many Italians from all over the country come to Lombardy for various treatments. The mixed uh, uh, public and private model is a model that works. It has allowed many people to do, for example, diagnostic examination very quickly. Uh, without waiting a month, uh, as, as uh, it happens in many other regions of Italy, for example. It must be said, however, that uh, in Lombardy, there uh, has been much emphasis on hospitals and little emphasis, for example, on local medicine. Also, for this reason, uh, many sick people uh, did, not, did not emerge, except, uh, except when they were already very sick and had to be hospitalized. That's uh, another so they were still at home. Yes, yes, they were still at home and they remain, uh, remain at home, unfortunately. They died at home. We can say that reducing the number, the number of family doctors and local ambulatories uh, was perhaps uh, a mistake because uh, it clogged up the, the hospitals mm. the, and the hospitals uh, couldn't cope uh, with the emergency. But we, we must consider uh, that the number of sick people in Lombardy has been very high 
so I can, I can say it will be a difficult situation for everyone. And it's been particularly devastating on the elderly population. It's particularly hard to contain so many living with their grandchildren and their families. And, and, and has it been possible to restrict such a large, how should I put this, loving part of the Italian culture where you're so close to your elders? Yes, uh, uh, Christina, for us Italians, it, it's uh, much more difficult not to embrace and not to touch each other, not to shake hands and, 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 and things typical of our way of being. Uh, there, there are grandchildren that, uh, for example, have not seen uh, their grandparents for more than a month. Doctors and nurses uh, who haven't seen their partners uh, and children for months because they either sleep in the hospitals or have moved, for example, have moved wives and children to secondary residence just to reduce the risk of spreading the virus. It's painful but necessary, obviously, to be able to, be able to take control over the pandemic. So how did the Italians take to generally take to the government restrictions at first? At first, uh, not everyone understood the importance of social distancing measures. Uh, the decision to quarantine uh, Lombardy uh, led people to escape uh, the region with night trains. Uh, this was particularly true for people living uh, in the north of Italy, uh, but originating uh, in the south. Uh, they, they were afraid uh, of getting uh, stuck in Lombardy. Uh, this uh, favored uh, the contagion in the south. Uh, but, uh, it has not been as dramatic as in the north. Uh, another example, the rush to the supermarkets, for example, at night for fear that the basic goods would be, uh, would be available anymore. Um, this kind of chains um, have never seen before. But uh, what I can now say uh, is that after an initial period of adaptation, uh, the Italian people responded well. It seems uh, that people have, un uh, have understood the reason for such a hard measures. So how concerned are people with the economic aftermath and social aftermath of, of this national lockdown? What is your assessment of, of the social situation in Italy once things with the virus are under control, hopefully soon? Uh, yes, hopefully soon. Uh, we are, yeah, I can say we are definitely uh, facing a, a second pandemic and that will be the loss of jobs due to the closure of many companies. Uh, the government uh, has provided a, um, a, an economic aid plan, but uh, it will not be enough, uh, I suppose. I can say it, it will be a new early post-war uh, period with an increase uh, in the social and uh, economic divide due to uh, this crisis. I, I would also uh, added that Italy has a big gap in terms of uh, technology investment, for example. The crisis has definitely highlighted uh, the need to make our country more modern with digital networks or smart working uh, solutions, uh, yes, and broadband, for example. The months uh, ahead uh, will for sure be difficult, and uh, not only for Italy, uh, which uh, has shown uh, in the years uh, uh, how to recover from large uh, crises. This time it will be global, and uh, uh, yes, I, I believe that we need more unity, particularly uh, in Europe, to fight the post-COVID economic crisis.
there's a huge disappointment in how little uh, the European Union has done for Italy um, and Spain. Is that your sense? Europe, uh, uh, in my opinion, this is my opinion, Europe could uh, have uh, done more. Uh, the so-called, for example, Corona bonds, which uh, would have distributed uh, the debt guarantees uh, to all European countries uh, because of the emergency, uh, would not have taken anything away from Germany and Netherlands. However, I believe that the solution of being able to obtain money for medical purposes uh, is a very good sign. Uh, for Italy, uh, this will mean around uh, 36 billion euros. Uh, mm. But once again, I want to say that Europe has lost the opportunity uh, to show what it really means to be a union and not just a set of countries, for example. If Italy, which is the second largest uh, manufacturer uh, in Europe after Germany, uh, goes bad, if Italy goes bad, there will be consequences for other countries too. And uh, in, I, I appreciated the words of the president of the German Republic, Herr Steinmeier, he said that uh, this is a test of our humanity. Germany cannot emerge strong, strong and fit from this crisis uh, if uh, our neighbors are not strong and fit as well. Germans are not merely asked to show solidarity. We are obliged to do so. And this these words uh, uh, were very important for Italian people. So finally, you're starting now soon, phase two, as it's been called in Italy. Tell me about that. Phase two will probably start after the 3rd of May, but uh, it will be very gradual. Uh, the government um, has formed a task force of uh, uh, 17 experts uh, to figure out uh, how to start again. It's almost certain that schools uh, and university will remain closed. Smart working uh, will still be encouraged uh, for many companies. Um, there are also... And smart working is from home. From home, yes, yes. Uh, there are also plans uh, to allow uh, the population to leave uh, home but with the ban still uh, on for the most uh, at-risk categories, uh, such, uh, um, for example, uh, the, the over-70s. Uh, for them, the quarantine could almost certainly last longer. A big problem is uh, also public transport, uh, where it's difficult to guarantee a safe distance. Uh, then, obviously, uh, there are uh, the companies, industry. They have uh, been divided into risk categories. Uh, and those companies uh, where the risk is lower because the safety distance can be guaranteed will go back to work first. Then uh, there is a, a big issue, which, uh, which is tourism, uh, one of the main industries uh, in Italy. Right. Uh, we are trying to understand if safety um, measures uh, can be guaranteed uh, on the beaches, for example. Maybe by keeping the sun umbrellas uh, at distance, uh, and keeping distance uh, in restaurants, uh, using disposable cutlery and plates, for example. However, this will be done uh, in stages, uh, and uh, probably and not in the same way in all the regions, I mean. Alessio, thank you so much for your taking so much time to talk about this, and I hope that you're taking care of yourselves yeah. <laughs> as well, and I understand that you're working night and day, and thank you so much for your reporting. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Christina. I prepared uh, uh, some, word, some words in Swedish language. Okay. To say goodbye to you, to, to Swedish people. <laughs> uh, can, I, can, I, can I read it? 
Please. Okay. Uh, jag vill börja med att uh, på min lite knackliga svenska tacka Kristina för att jag för medverka i programmet och passa på att hälsa lyssnarna uh, i Sverige uh, och säga att tillsammans kan vi besegra viruset så länge vi heller i hopp. That was amazing. That was better pronunciation than I had when I came to Sweden. <laughs> Thank you so much. And and, and um, okay. I can say from me and I'm sure from that, yes, together we can absolutely, um, I, we have to be in this together to fight this virus. And I think yes, that we yes. will. All together, all together, yes. Thank you so much to reporter Alessio Lasta. You can follow him on Twitter at Alessio Lasta. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential. You can follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And please, if you have a moment, leave us a review. It really helps others to find us. And you can also support the work by becoming a monthly member of Pop Culture Confidential Premium. You'll find that at popcultureconfidential.supportingcast.fm. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Next Best Picture.